0: Welcome to Archonnex Sessions, episode 103. I'm Paul, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Donna and Ken. Today's show follows up on Archonnex Sessions, episode 83, when we discuss this first year of Exhibit Columbus. The inaugural exhibition of Exhibit Columbus opens this summer on August 26th, and will include six built structures designed by teams from six different Midwestern universities investigating the built environment of Columbus. On today's show, we will be discussing these projects along with Joshua Kageshaw and Janice Shimizu from Ball State University team and Martin Summers from the University of Kentucky team. Make sure to check out the Archonnect website today where we will have presented these projects along with some additional information about each.
1: So I'm excited that we're able to talk again with people from Exhibit Columbus and that project. We had so much fun last fall talking about it with Richard McCoy and Josh Kogeshall, And you can listen to episode 83 for that. The episode was called No Sage on Stage. And that's where we talked about the exhibit symposium that happened. I also live tweeted that symposium for Archonnect. So that was a fun way to engage for me to engage with the with the symposium. But now we're up to step two or the biannual the second year portion of what's happening with the exhibit. And we are here with I'm going to try to make sure I get everyone's name right from Ball State University. We have Josh Cogshaw and Janice Shimizu. Welcome Janice. Say hi. Hey. And Josh. Say hi. Hi. (laughs) We've got so many people on the phone today. I want to make sure that people recognize voices. And then from the University of Kentucky Architecture School, we've got Marty Summers. Marty, you want to say hi?
2: Hello. Good to be here.
1: I'm really glad that everyone's here. And the student work is going to be incredible. And we're going to put images of it on Archonnect. But to sort of warm people up and get people understanding what the project is, Janice, I think you wanted to give us a bit of an overview of the the process. Sure. I'll start with the official.
3: Exhibit Columbus is an annual exploration of architecture, art, design, and community that focuses on its role as a new vehicle for the production of knowledge, uh, the advancement of contemporary design and fabrication, and the building of a community of designers to come together to showcase the state of design in the Midwest. So each year is going to alternate between a symposium, which is the production of knowledge, and then an exhibition, which we see as the application of that knowledge. And last year, we had the first one called Foundations and Futures, which focused on an understanding of the legacy of Columbus while just starting a discussion about the future of design fabrication and education. So, for example, on Friday, we had Alexandra Lang dissecting the history of Columbus schools. And then on Saturday, we had Fabio Gramazio presenting advanced tooling. And it it went well. And we were pleased. We had um, about 500 people, like architects, artists, university students, community members, all come out on a Friday night in the Midwest to listen to design discussions. And so that was a good start. The second part now is the exhibit, which will open this August on the 26th. And it's got a lot of layers. And so I'll try and go through them. But I would say maybe maybe watch for the launch of our new website. It's been developed by got a great curatorial team, specifically Brooke and Thirst. Okay, so there's five Miller Prize projects that are all being built along Fifth Street. Uh, Studio Indigenous, IKD, uh, Oilerwoo, Plan B, and Aranda Lash. And they're all building installations that are in dialogue with... The landmark sites, such as Sarnen's First Christian Church or Pays Library. Then there's five international design galleries that they selected designers to work with um, to build along Washington Street. Studio Forma Phantasma, Pedersen & Hine, Productura, Cody Hoyt, and Snarchitecture are are those. Uh, There's also local high school students that are doing a design build. And then there's six regional universities that are building prototypes on Central Middle School site on the front lawn. And so that's uh ball state university. And Josh is doing that design build studio, um, university in Kentucky, which is Marty and David, Indiana university, Zhang Mei Wu and Andres Tovar, the Ohio state university with Michael Bomberger, um, uh, university of Cincinnati, Terry bowling, and then university of Michigan, with Mick Kennedy. And so just quickly then, um, The whole thing is sort of an interest in learning through making, the value of prototyping. There was a design brief that had prompts like, you know, considering context and precedent, but also responding to contemporary discourse. There's an overall interest in advanced manufacturing and then possible trajectories of the discipline. But each university sort of made it their own, sort of developed their own story. And so we see this potential for the entire project as a catalyst for change here. Um, You know, building up a design scene, developing alternative practices. Um, There's manufacturers like uh, Noblet that are, you know, tool. Up in response to this, and sort of comes back to this imperative from Miller that you need to invest in education and culture and leisure. That's part of making a city. And so, and maybe just in last, we've, we've just sort of having proof of concept success. Uh, Yugon Kim and Tomomi Itakura of IKD, they just won a $250,000 um, US Forest Service Wood Innovations Grant. You know, this sort of idea of they're going to divert waste wood that usually goes into pallets into hardwood CLT. And so maybe that just sort of gives an idea of just sort of some of the hopes and intentions for the overall project.
1: That was wonderful, Janice, fantastic. And there's so much to unpack and talk about in that. It's it's such an amazing, the exhibit Columbus is gonna be such a great event overall, every bit of it. But it does also remind me, and I think this is a really great way to frame it. Josh, I wanted to ask if you could repeat again your analogy about Spain. Can you do that? I I
4: can give it a shot. We try to explain it as if you take the the five states that are sort of involved in the Midwest, for exhibit Columbus, Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky, and compare that to a country like Spain, which is equal size, equal population. Spain is the 13th largest world economy. The United States of the Midwest would be the 8th largest economy with double the production of Spain. So it is. it does have a pretty impactful uh You know, if we can build this region, it it can be very impactful.
1: And the notion that somewhere like when you think of somewhere like Spain, you think of, yeah, they have culture, they have a certain kind of food, they have a certain way of building, they have a history that the Midwest, this region has that as well. And that in this case, it has a whole lot to do with manufacturing.
4: And it's also, I mean, we are, you know, Marty will pick up on this also, but it is what we're really one of the goals is here is to build that network of colleagues and fabricators and designers and hopefully clients eventually will come along and help us out but it's it's exhibit columbus has already built an incredible network with the uh, the five schools the six schools that are involved and so that part of it's been extremely rewarding
1: so can we can we talk a little about the specific installations and either of you either ball state or kentucky Janice you mentioned noblet manufacturing did either of you your two projects specifically engage a certain manufacturer here in the Midwest or elsewhere. Marty, do you want to tell us a bit about your project to start?
2: Yeah. So when the project initially started, I guess we had been having conversations, or at least I'd been having conversations with Josh and Janice for a while because I'd been inviting them down to Kentucky for reviews, trying to at least reach out to people who I tertiary knew from my former Morphosis Connections within the region. And that started what was a really interesting conversation between several of us, between Cincinnati, Ball State, and Kentucky. When Josh and Janice told me what was happening and they had contacted the school, super excited about the opportunity to consider, say, contemporary design education and the fabrication tools we have at our disposal within the context of Columbus, Indiana. I grew up in Henderson, Kentucky, which is only about an hour and a half, maybe two hours from Columbus. So I was aware of Columbus when I was an architecture student here at Kentucky. But having the opportunity to contribute to, say, the inaugural biennial is an amazing opportunity because of that context. And so when we first started the project, David and I spoke with the students in the studio and kind of to generate a series of ideas. I always run my students through a abstract design exercise in the studio called disruptive continuity. And out of that, it's trying to get their kind of creative juices flowing, but also advance their speed and kind of workflow digitally. After a kind of initial series of exercises, we had a conversation and David mentioned an idea about tobacco sticks, this kind of reclaimed material that's from the region that's very seldom used now, but they're kind of these beautiful objects. And so that started this conversation about these lines that might be able to hang in space. Beyond that, we realized, you know, the difficulty of getting decent tobacco sticks is going to be kind of hard, but the idea stuck about these lines. And so the project kind of evolved from there to be somewhere in between a conversation about an object in a landscape related to the kind of contemporary discourse of objects, but then also trying to find a sensitivity to the place because of Columbus's history and its unbelievable modernist legacy. There was also an attempt to produce a dialogue between kind of regulating lines or found site conditions with this kind of contrasting other that produced a bit of a synergy in the the piece we were trying to do. That was four students working with myself and David over a semester and the whole summer we've been cranking away and I'm still trying to get, say, more supporters added on in terms of manufacturing uh, locally or regionally. So it's evolving as I sit here, which makes me a little nervous. But you know, <laughs> I try to teach the students all the time. You have to adapt and be flexible. Unfortunately, it always happens at the time you're least expecting it. And so I guess I'm trying to train them in the ways of reality. <laughs>
1: And that, to me, being familiar with your studio, your teaching practice at UK, it's wonderful to me that you're giving students that opportunity that, look, hey, sometimes things change, things change midstream and uh, you got to figure it out (laughs) and keep moving forward.
2: I've been on some big projects where things changed overnight and we had, you know, a few weeks to update the entire project. And so that's in the back of my mind at every moment I'm teaching. How do you get them to think flexibly, uh, rationally, but also intuitively? enough that they can address complex problems and not freak out when things go wrong.
1: (laughs) And so where are you exactly in your process? Can you give us a glimpse? Are you guys, you know, 90% constructed, 60% constructed? Have you started constructing? We have not started constructing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, which is the (laughs) nervous part. Um, (laughs) Wait, so let's go back to Janice. When does this exhibit open?
3: (laughs) Plenty of time. August
1: 26th. (laughs) (laughs) You're so encouraging. August 26th, right? That's when uh, is our grand opening. So Marty, you've got plenty of time. That's right. The, the, <laughs>
2: the goal of what we're doing is to uh, automate as much of the production of the parts as possible and then assemble them into kind of puzzle pieces. It's almost a kit of parts after that moment. But we've had some issues here. Our CNC went down and we've had a hard time getting that back up. And so now we're, I'm looking regionally to find somebody who might be willing to help
1: us out. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure you will find because it's the Midwest. Fingers crossed, yes. And there's lots of manufacturers. You will. Tell me just a little bit more because I want to talk about this sort of very regional and local aspect of your project. Describe the tobacco rods. What are they exactly?
2: Yeah, so that was an initial idea that David mentioned, which is a kind of found or recycled material from the landscape. Uh, tobacco sticks are basically what they spear a series of tobacco leaves and then hang them in the barns. And so that sphere comes with a tip. And we started initially with that conversation about the idea of a kind of a swarm of these lines. And that's really what stuck. It wasn't so much the materiality of it. And I only tell the story of the tobacco sticks because it gives some sense of kind of an initial idea springs out. Project evolves around that. Conversations are had about materials and fabrication and other things. And then at a certain point, in some ways, it doesn't matter where that came from. It's that there's now something there, which is this other thing that's The series of lines that are kind of floating above your head in the space. So, you know, it kind of contextualizes, I guess, the origins of some idea of a regional or say specifically regional way of thinking about something from Kentucky that we could bring to the conversation other than, say, our design skills. But as the project evolved, that particular kind of material dropped from the conversation and it was no longer relevant in some ways.
1: And I think what you teach is, like you said, that that's okay. Sometimes that's that's how ideas evolve.
2: Yeah. And it it really gets to the heart of what I'm trying to get them to think about, which is too often. I mean, most of what I've been trying to research relative to my own path towards tenure, which I'm up for this fall. So I've got lots of fingers crossed this summer.
1: uh, (laughs) Pressure's on.
2: What I'm trying to teach them is that Too often I see students get into a design studio where they develop a kind of initial thesis. And then because they've developed this thesis, it becomes the thing against which everything is measured. And they might have better ideas that are springing forth out of the process than that initial thought. Uh, And too often they're unwilling to let go of the initial thought when actually the project that's evolving in front of them is better. And so in that conversation I have in the studios is how do you say, recognize the intelligence that's showing up in the things you're making, as opposed to trying to dictate what the result will be in the end.
1: Josh or Janice or Ken, do any of you guys want to address any of that?
2: I mean, I feel for, for Marty, we,
4: we just started fabrication, like the, the final fabrication this week. <laughs> so of the six schools, we were the two that we're kind of uh, starting the latest on the fabrication, but we will catch up very quickly.
1: So you guys are the most architectees, in other words, right? (laughs) Because you're putting it all off until the last minute, right? I think
3: Mick and Michigan are are cranking away up there as well.
1: Yeah. Well, we do want to talk about all the projects, I think. But Josh, because I brought up the notion of a sort of regional reference with Marty, tell us about your, the Ball State project and what that sort of regional or, you know, what, what the sort of, what was the sort of generating seed of it?
4: I mean, we went down to visit Columbus and kind of listened to the city and listened to people. And part of what the students picked up on was the amount of towers in the town and the certain kind of geometries uh, that were emerging. That was sort of their part of it. My part of it was an interest in, I did want it made, the skin made out of steel, so it's something we couldn't do in our own shops. Uh, so they'd have to work. Right. Well, I wanted to work with manufacturers and not all do it out of our CNC shop. And so we met with Noblet, We met with uh, Ignition Arts in Indianapolis, who you know.
1: Very well. That's my husband's firm.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we would get critiques on workflow, uh, design advice. You know, we, we had a lot, unfortunately. And also, fortunately, manufacturing is really hot right now. Like everyone's really humming, all the shops. Uh, and so getting someone to do a kind of a smaller public art piece was kind of a challenge, but we did finally find a, um, a local Indianapolis HVAC electrical shop that had all the equipment we needed. And we started talking to them about it and they, you know, they had a great line back to us that the the machine doesn't care how complicated it is. And so we got our prototypes back. We're getting great service. And so we're, we're, we're moving ahead.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. And it, it reminds me of, um, Will Bruder, when he first, one of Will Bruder's very first projects was a car wash and he wanted these big curved steel roof shapes. And he ended up going to a silo manufacturer who could do it for, you know, a really affordable price because they make silos all day. The notion that you could take it to an HVAC company that, that manufactures ductwork. That's awesome.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And they have the equipment and they're, you know, it, it was, it's been great.
3: And Josh, okay, I'm just going to say thank you to Edwards <laughs> Electrical and Mechanical. Yes, please. Who was it? Edwards Electrical and Mechanical.
1: In Indianapolis or in Muncie?
3: In Indianapolis.
1: In Indianapolis. Okay, thanks. So Josh, you mentioned this notion of towers in the, the write-up that we're going to put on Archonnect. You mentioned this idea of towers and of uh, the sort of the changing perforation as it approaches the sky and that ombre effect. Mention a little more about that and how it relates to, uh, to Columbus.
4: You know, a lot of the monuments do have these these towers i have my own personal interest similar like with marty is pushing you know we all have our agendas that we work with with students i have an interest in sort of the Moray effect and how um you can get an inanimate material to kind of activate and come alive and so that was maybe a a secondary thing going on was uh really studying the kind of the experiential effects of of what the material could do and Columbus, you know, has a really rich history with material in the modern project. I mean, if you just think about the brick in Columbus, it becomes a really interesting story from, you know, the Serenans using it on First Christian to pay, picking up on it and making the plaza out of it, referencing First Christian, but using the bricks that were on the houses all the way to Bob Venturi using the brick as a sign and as a graphic, you know, with the glazed white. And so there's a rich material history that, you know, we're hoping to kind of join that conversation in the the metal perforations.
1: So let's just briefly mention the other projects by the schools who are not represented on this call, because obviously they're all working hard as well. We mentioned University of Michigan is under construction right now, and um, I noticed a couple of things about theirs. They use the word robotoidal bent steel. Does anyone know what that means?
3: I believe that it so it will be uh, digitally controlled, being able to use that as a bending of the steel steel rod rather than doing it by hand.
1: Right, and their project is called Cloud Bank, and I think is very much about the sort of the sky, right. So
3: their idea is talking about, yeah, the, the landscape itself and that sort of uneasy connection between the ground and sky, um, the interest between, let's say, industry and agriculture of the Great Lakes and the Midwest region. So there's a lot of both communicating maybe a, a history of the area, but then in their words, the sort of latent potential of this, of this region.
4: Well, I want to just jump in with, uh, you know, we've, in, we've encouraged the, all the universities to sort of share what's going on. Through Instagram or whatever uh, social media thereafter, and so every time you kind of think you have a grasp of what another school's doing, they're obviously their design has changed and moved on. So we're always a bit, uh, you know, there's a little bit of competition. Like you gotta, you gotta stay up with like, you know, how big Kentucky's is, or you know,
1: because how... <laughs> it is big. You guys are building a lot.
4: Yeah,
2: we're trying.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's if we if we don't have an exact pin down on how to describe it, we, we have a kind of a, we understand the attitude that's coming out of each school, which is a really refreshing and,
2: and great to see. It's been actually a really fun part of the project is I know several of the people prior to this, but I've met a couple through this event. And so I say that to students all the time in the studio is look around and see what's going on because the people sitting next to you aren't the people who ultimately you'll be competing with when you leave school. You'll be competing with this other group of people at a much higher level professionally. And so Instagram has been an awesome catalyst for some of those conversations and to the point where I would tease Josh on occasion (laughs) (laughs) by dropping a little video of what we were doing. And it was only a couple of seconds. Uh, but it was only about five minutes later, Josh would shoot me a little message back. <laughs> uh, and so it became a fun kind of conversation that was happening regionally, you know, between schools, looking yeah. at what's going on and seeing who's doing what. And I agree, you know, I, I've seen some of the projects prior, but I don't know a ton about them. But when I just heard the description of the last project and heard Josh describe his project, there's going to be kind of. A lot of similar issues and themes and interests that are showing up in these, uh, but the ultimate results seem to be fairly distinct and representative of each university to some degree.
3: So the um, University of Cincinnati and Terry Bowling's class, they they've called it alchemy, right? This is process of taking base material, turning into gold, right? And so they did this whole uh, site visit where uh, they met with lots of different industries that were local to Cincinnati and Columbus. They're looking at embodied energy of industrial waste and reclaimed materials. And so they were able to work with a few different companies um, ending up with limestone offcuts with salvaged wood from a deconstructed church, um, Rookwood cast off tile and then these copper punch-outs that are just sort of leftover pieces. And they have uh, pulling it together in terms of how you can construct with it. And one of those great stories, so they made this wonderful video, if we'll be online soon, where they created a machine that will stamp these copper punch outs into these designs into the wood. And they were working with the central middle schoolers to do that.
1: That's awesome. And again, it seems really reflective of Cincinnati's attitude and their, their program to sort of use the old stuff and to work with, uh, with, with partners. Nice, nice.
3: And then um, the Ohio State University. So they're working with BAM, one of the largest 3D printers, Cincinnati Incorporated. And they had looked at procedural work from artists such as Saul LeWitt or Casey Reyes, and they were created this line work that then were developed into a series of 3D printed panels. So they have these large panels that are fit into a structural plywood framework. And I should say that, and they're done.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Good job, Ohio State.
3: (laughs) And then Indiana University. So their project is is actually at North Christian Church. And they are looking at the sort of boundary between art and design of the surface versus the volume. Um, They're working with these laser cut corrugated panels. And it's an interior design studio, but they also worked with engineering students to develop these modules. And the whole piece is sort of like this glowing landscape, a glowing uh, lantern in the landscape.
1: Yeah, I I noticed or wondered, because they do not have an, an architecture program at IU, but they do have this interiors and then they combine with engineering. So in a way they're, they're getting our, they're hitting both ends of the discipline, which I think is very cool. And it looks like a very beautiful piece from the images I've seen. I think, Ken, you had a question, right? Yeah. Go ahead.
5: Sure. It's to anyone, actually, actually all of you can answer. Um, I guess one of the things I'm curious about is uh, how have your counterparts on the manufacturing side, have they been emboldened? Have they learned anything about design practice, you know, I'm, I'm curious to, know, to see, is there any interest, any renewed interest in fabrication as a means of extending an industry that's kind of going away? How do you see that? And, and, um, I guess the second question I have is that, you know, we, I was thinking about this as we were, as you were all talking. The idea of, of a dialogue between theory and practice. Now we have practice and manufacturing and fabrication. What is the the next iteration? Is it fabrication or manufacturing and what? What is or is it practice and what? What do you see? Anything on like? Is have you have you learned anything from this that you could take forward in practice or in teaching or in design? What's the future hold for this?
3: Well, so I'm not working with one of the studios, but maybe a, as a a side story. This began with a project by um, Jonathan Neshi, who was doing these hundred aluminum tables that were going to be in the space in North Christian, sorry, First Christian Church, and he worked with Noblet. And so that was, in order to do that project, Noblet tooled up to get the laser cutters to do that. And it was really interesting to hear the story of how, from then on, he he never did art projects before that. But then since then, that has now become part of his work. He also can now laser cut in terms of other materials, such as, you know, cardboard and other things like that. So it was really, that was something that was told to us at the very beginning of this project It sort of, we could see that ripple effect, how the, the building up of both contemporary design and the connection to fabricators here in terms of what are other Potentials for their skills and their their thinking already. So new partnerships being made, and so maybe I would just sort of answer the second part of the question as well is that the future. Uh, I mean, and I think this maybe not so much the future, the the reality of practice now is collaboration, right? Is being able to speak in different languages or to understand the different perspectives on the both the development of the design and the production of the work, like the execution of it. And so I think that that this type of project is sort of demanding that of those conversations to go on. And the the um, back and forth that that entails.
1: It's funny to me that so much of this conversation has reminded me of Will Bruder's work. I keep wanting to bring up Will Bruder's work, and he was he was. Um Someone who the architect who I heard for the first time say, you know, I had a conversation on site with my electrical contractor about this funky way I wanted to do the exposed conduit. And it took a five minute conversation and he totally got it and he did exactly what I wanted. And it looked exactly as I imagined it. And the the idea that by treating your your contractors and your laborers and your manufacturers with respect and engaging them in the process that you get this much richer result.
4: I would say also from At least my perspective when I was speaking with some of the fabricators is, you know, often uh, if you think about uh, architects, we have to, we speak in a language where we're communicating ideas through drawings and to communicating with contractors. But there's this whole new thing that's, you know, in the last 10 years, maybe longer of having to speak with machines and the fabricators are looking for people to help them with that discussion. So like Like the the translation of not construction documents, but how do you get the files that like Kevin Klinger talks about from fat to flat? Like how do you, how do you get that information to the fabrication? And they're very interested in having that discussion. Like that gives them a competitive advantage. You know, there's, there's the myth that we don't manufacture the same amount. We actually. We do manufacture the same amount, if not more. We just do it with so many fewer people, you know, so everyone's looking for the the kind of that edge that will that, that this could bring to it. So that's why I think even with small projects like Exhibit Columbus, they are looking to prototype these ideas. So,
2: yeah, I think that's an interesting part of what Exhibit Columbus is trying to do. And it's, you know, I've been back to the region for, I guess, six years now. And right when I moved back, there was a tremendous conversation here in Kentucky about the influx of kind of advanced manufacturing that was occurring. For several reasons, the federal government under Obama was putting money into kind of these regional projects where advanced manufacturing was a focus, a kind of retooling of old industries. And several of our studio projects here in Kentucky dealt with that. But I think in a much broader sense, that aligns with what's been happening and say the profession of architecture or the studio environment of the academic side of that kind of professional path, where a lot of the tools we're using in an academic setting are the tools that are being used at the scale of manufacturing. And in many ways, there are these strange conditions now. It was actually brought about, um, I wrote about it for my TXA submittal uh, this past year, about the symposium in Columbus, where a lot of the young practitioners were sitting around talking about things that they're having to say address now in their practice. And one of the more interesting conversations is about the kind of means and methods of construction and how all of these young firms are now at the moment where they're going from designing and pretty much building their own work because they understand the tools and the processes and the methods to now handing that off to someone else who they have to teach all of this kind of internalized knowledge that they've developed through the work to scale up the work. And I found that really a fascinating conversation that was happening because it's really a kind of a revolution within the revolution in some ways. Uh, If you look at the way automation is taking over in manufacturing, it's also been taking over in architecture for years. And there's a part of what we're trying to at least get the students to stew in a little bit is where do they enter that? How do they do it? And how do they use those tools to advance, say, cultural ideas? right? That when you get to that conversation about regional manufacturing, there's already a a beginning of that that process happening, say, six to 10 years ago regionally, that I think Exhibit Columbus is pointing towards the potential of this region to really take advantage of that. And that's why I get so excited about this. There's a lot of potential regionally with both design, manufacturing, and just the discourse generally uh, that seems to be kind of bubbling up.
5: The things that you were just talking about have been like rolling through my head since I knew we were going to have this conversation and I was looking at the materials and uh, there's uh, questions of, we see students today who really aren't very skilled at hand drawing, but they're able to do the, produce the work on the computer and I start to wonder, and you kind of talk a little bit about it on the edges, about authorship, about where's the author, where's, it seems like the, the more you get into the technology, the more the author is diminished. Um, But in some way, they're recontextualizing that in a manufacturing process, which they are then teaching to people who already have some essential skills to create the things, but maybe aren't on that cutting edge. So in a strange, you know, really odd, but kind of wonderful way, they're actually recreating the kind of processes that will build the future of architecture and uh, the design process. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but just kind of what I've been thinking about. But then the other question I'm wondering about at the same time is, and this is probably this is a completely probably a completely bullshit statement, but this kind of manufacturing or. Like a, an appropriation of a manufacturing, and uh, and you're thinking about the cultural dynamic. But what about the the reappropriation of the manufacturing processes and recontextualizing by architects to create something? There's this interesting. I don't know, really, even know what any of that means. It's just kind of these thoughts I was having today when I was considering the discussion. But do you see that happening, or is that any of that makes sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a in an odd way. It's kind of a return of the master builder to some degree. You know, that's part of what I've been trying to do with my studios is show students how, say, the space of the digital model is not a stage set for an image. Uh, the space of the digital model is literally the reality of the construction because it directs the manufacturing process, whether that be 3D printing or CNC mill or laser jet uh, or, you know, 3D printed buildings, that you're now responsible in that digital environment for the reality of that architecture in a way that I don't think you were necessarily responsible, say, 10 years prior. And that's what that conversation among the young practitioners in Columbus was really getting to, is that there's there's a collapse between, say, the digital space of design and the physical reality of the world around us because of that relationship to the tools and the manufacturing. So you your questioning, I think, really hits it right on the head. And that goes a bit to Janice's comment about Kind of the future professionally is this relationship to collaboration. Well, it's also there's appropriation happening in both ways, where architecture students and the faculty who are teaching them are appropriating tools from other industries, while at the same time those industries are appropriating, uh, say, processes or workflows, maybe from the designers who are working with them.
1: So I want to. We've sort of gotten into the very sort of specific nitty gritty of some of these questions that are raised by the work happening for Exhibit Columbus. But I sort of want to take a step back to the event itself. Exhibit Columbus as an event as something that happens in a public sphere in the city of Columbus. Can do any of you guys and probably Janice or Josh you you've been really helping with organizing all of this. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of the exhibit as a temporary space making in the city of Columbus and what what that how that is different in today's world versus, you know, what it might have been in, you know, the World Columbian Exposition in Chicago?
3: <laughs> in terms of the opening of it, so it's interesting, it, it, there's an opening on August 26, but it's going to be sort of a vi- open as a, a event until November 26. So it's a three-month temporary transformation of the city along these two major axes, along Washington Street and along Fifth. This- Along Washington and Fifth, and you know maybe different than say Chicago Biennial, where there is the last one, there was you know a lot of the world a sort of a cut through the whole world was sort of brought into Chicago and um, exhibited, and here instead it's really space. Or, you know, city specific in terms of everything that's being added, we are asking them to build in response to what is there is to understand or have, uh, take a position on Columbus and the context and whatever context means to you. And then build in addition to that as a way to, let's say, build on the legacy of what's there by looking forward, by making, you know, ideas about what the future might be. And so it's a. Different sort of speculative exhibition in some ways, right? Even though a lot of the pieces might be more on the scale of products or the scale of uh, prototypes, but there is that sort of underlying idea about that in after the, you know, you come during these three months and you see Columbus's way, it alters your understanding of that city forever. And then hopefully we do that again in next two years. And those sites and these places will again be transformed through the input from contemporary designers that are struggling with these ideas that we've been talking about, whether they be material or process or, you know, what is the role of the architect in fabrication, let's say. So I think that becomes interesting. And then there's a secondary part that um, Exhibit Columbus as a whole really put effort into is to connect it to the communities that there's a, you know, weekly programming that exists just as Columbus, as part of the city. And so how does that, the design of the built environment become backdrop or connected to these different types of program, a diverse group, a a community, different ages, different schools, and all those sort of things. And so how can, in the same breath, how can this sort of city and community just own that, the design and the transformation of their city as well? And so trying to make design for everybody for each citizen is maybe the sort of secondary hope for this.
2: Awesome. Can I pick up on that just a little bit? With our project, uh, the Kentucky project, we're looking at also kind of prior history of studios here, having worked on several community-based projects in Henderson, Kentucky, which happens to be my hometown. There are Butch Branson and Tim Skinner have supported several studios over about 10 years. And they're actually helping to support our installation. And because the event is this three-month period that's really focused on engaging community in design, our project after this will travel in the spring and be reassembled in Henderson because Henderson's been trying to do with basically this group called the River Cities Renaissance, a, a kind of similar, smaller scale version. How can design impact community? And so what's kind of spilling off of the Columbus model are, say, other variations of this model around. And in our case, the installation's going to actually have the opportunity to travel to another location and engage that specific context in a similar conversation. I think that's really what, if I was to say what Exhibit Columbus is trying to do, it's not just, say, engaging uh, the architecture of Columbus. It's really about, to some degree, firing up that uh, community-engaged sensibility about space so
5: have any of you seen the uh, miller prize projects around town at all i've been looking at the instagram so i don't really have a sense of it
3: well so they will also be sort of opened august 26th there i think my understanding everybody's working on them i did see Euler woos a little bit and, and they are really great instagrammers but i know that is <laughs> coming along really well i think um they're all making progress. But that's the only one I've seen actually under construction.
4: And, and I, Ken, I just want to jump in that what will be really interesting is the week leading up to the opening, because that's when all the universities will be there assembling, as well as the Miller Prize people. So what we're hoping is, you know, hopefully, you know, the Mendez will walk over and take a look at, at what the university students are doing and just, you know, again, firing up the network, like, you know that we're all in the the boat rowing together for this opening. University students, the Miller Prize people, the galleries, the high school students. You know that I think that will be that kind of barn raising. You know that the Midwest was famous for.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um,
4: that kind of energy. So it'll be a it'll be really fun in that way.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited about it.
4: I think I'll come out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ken, oh, you oh, need to come. But, so so you should come the week. You know the week before. <laughs> <I know.
5: laughs>
1: to. to to sort of go and poke at the students as they're putting their I think so. I think
5: I do want to come in. out the week before. <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly. I don't think there'll be any hotel rooms that week, but... Uh,
1: <laughs> I know a place can, you can stay. I'll sleep in my car. <laughs> I'm, 40, I'm 45 minutes north. You can come stay with me. So do any of you guys have anything else you want to add? I think this has been a great conversation. And I'm super excited about the exhibit opening.
4: I would like to just, again, um, one, the, the community of Columbus and how uh, this project has come out of that. But just to... Be aware that when Columbus, like in its heyday for architecture, it was a town of 20,000 people. And it had five Pritzker Prize winning architects. It's got seven landmarks. I mean, this is what happens when a town, the leadership of the town, commits to good design. Like it, it's just, you get reminded of it every time you drive into town. You're like, this is a very small town that has so much quality in it. So that that's just You know, just grateful for that community supporting this project.
2: Yeah, I would reiterate that having been there as a young student and then returning later in my life at this point and going back to the city, I was, you know, I'd I'd come back from Los Angeles to Kentucky and going into central Indiana, into this town that literally you can walk in a few minutes for the most of the downtown. It's kind of jarring, even though you know that it's there. How small this place is, and how significant kind of the investment in that community is. That it's really it's refreshing, uh, inspiring, and exciting because you walk down the street and it's just optimistic. It's very optimistic, I'll say.
1: So I will point listeners back to our episode eighty-three where we talk a little bit more about how Columbus came to be the city that it's that it is, um, specifically with the the Miller family and Erwin J. Miller and the Cummins Company Corporation, and we all know that the the, all of us on this call at least know that the movie Columbus is coming out soon. I think it's premiered already and it's been getting amazing reviews and it's not related at all to Exhibit Columbus, but it's a movie that uses the architecture of Columbus as a character, basically. So yeah, I think we're coming into the summer of Columbus, I think. So thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited about it all.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much to Joshua, Janice and Martin for joining us this week. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about this podcast, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, ArcSessions, or with hashtag And you can also send us an email to connect at If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. Talk to everyone on the next show.